You know something, Jon Snow. Jon Snow, you are doing a good job. Hello, PhDs. You've pleased my ears with the melody of English language. Is he listening to our podcast? Welcome to Hello, PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, what to do when you're nearing the grad school finish line, but you get stuck in a rut. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 42. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Welcome back, Daniel. Winter is coming, Josh. <laughs> Did you see the new Game of Thrones? I haven't watched it yet, but I probably will. Well, to get us in the spirit, we have a special beer. This is the Om Gang. I know I'm not saying this right. O-M-M-E Gang. <laughs> is that what the label says? <laughs> Says, I know I'm not saying this right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know I'm not saying this right, okay. Brewery and Company. There's Omgang Brewery from Cooperstown, New York. This is the Game of Thrones Seven Kingdoms Hoppy Wheat Ale. Oh, this sounds exciting. Now, you, it's got a cork, and you're pointing it right at your monitor, so I, don't, I do not want that to fly out and break something. Yeah, this is a, a Game of Thrones-themed brew. I'm sure it tastes just like the Lannisters or something. I have no idea what, how you make a Game of Thrones well, It theme. says, of Westeros, seven kingdoms, six were conquered, and one indomitable was brought in, not by war, but the sacred blood ties of marriage. This traditional Belgian-style wheat ale is happily wed to citrusy herbal American hops, yielding wheaty maltiness and moderate bitterness with alluring fruit aromas. Oh my gosh, this is longer than a George Martin novel. <laughs> this is actually flavors. more words than one of his books. Yeah, so this is a big bottle. This looks like a wine bottle, and it's got a champagne-style cork. So I'm going to go ahead and... Yeah, pop that. Pop this. Don't point it in my eyes. All right, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. All right, so let's pour this. Pass over my glass. Now, was was the wart heated by a dragon or something thematic? Uh, I'm not sure. This is obviously pretty cold right now, now, as if it were chilled beyond the wall. Oh, very good. Nice reference. We're going to try and get in every possible reference to Game of Thrones that we possibly never, can. And if you've never seen Game of Thrones, I'm really sorry. Go ahead and skip ahead. This isn't funny either way, but don't <laughs> worry about it. That's true. Even if you have seen Game of Thrones, this is not that great. Uh, I'm it, not a big, it looks like a wheat beer. Yeah, this is a hoppy wheat ale, which actually I am pretty interested to try that. I got my first taste. I like it. It's it's really tasty. Very refreshing. It's um got a little bit of citrus. It's got a little bit of bitterness, but it's not it's not IPA level. This no. reminds me of a beer we had in the past. Which one? I don't remember. <laughs> so, not Game of Thrones, but... Which one was it? Didn't we have like a farm ale or something? It, t- it tastes like the Walking Dead to me. <laughs> but frozen. I'm, th- <laughs> I'm thinking uh, Orange is the New Black. Okay. okay. That's a different show. Yeah. So, um, anyway, Dan, we took a week off last week. Yeah, and do you know why we did? Because we're lazy? No, we're not lazy. <laughs> that can't be it. Well, I know one thing. I This Paul in the spring weather, I hardly had a voice last week. Yeah, that was that was a big piece of it. So, you know, I felt fully justified last week in, in taking a break. I had no voice with this cold. And it's kind of hard to do a podcast if you don't have a voice. That's a little harder. Key. Yeah. Uh, but then it I was synthesize listening. your voice by typing. <laughs> last week, we could have cut words that I've said in past episodes together. It would be great. But I was listening to another podcast that I 
am a big fan of This American Life. I've not heard of that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think we're right behind them in the standings. Yeah, right behind them. Um, but anyway, I heard the host, Ira Glass, come on this week, and he sounded terrible because he had such a bad cold, and he talked about how oh, the show must through. go on. And then I felt a little guilty. Yeah, you should have been rasping through the whatever. Well, yeah, for taking the week off. Although I would, I would probably gather that Ira Glass and This American Life has a little bit different budget than the Hello PhD. I think it'd be interesting to have a podcast where it's just me and a voice synthesizer where I pretend I'm you, but I type it in. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> Welcome back, Daniel. <laughs> I've had that was a good voice synthesizer impression. So, um. Yeah, we got some email this week. Yeah, let in me the tell interim. you. What, let me tell you what this email said and okay. why we picked the episode we picked to replay. Um, it said, "Hello, PhDs. I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your weekly podcasts. As I'm a French student in medical stu- school, you've pleased my ears with the melody of English language." I have to stop right there. Yeah, I think we should stop right there. Um, of, of is he listening to our podcast or a more different podcast? Yeah, you know, I think of things that I never thought anyone would ever say about me or certainly about us. Um, that we would be pleasing to the ears with our melody of English language. Sometimes I'm worried uh, the degree to which we're butchering the English language. <laughs> and several others in the etymology puzzle. But, you know, maybe we should uh, consider a singing career, maybe a, a doo-wop group. But maybe so. What else did he say? Okay, so he said, what's more, I've also learned plenty of invaluable tips and pieces of advice, and listening to you is so relaxing. Last but not least, you're both pretty funny. I assume he means me and my impression of you are both funny. Well, you know. Fair enough. So he ends it with, at the very beginning, I have to admit I found quite weird the fact that you taste beer each week, but since I understood the big picture of your podcast, it does make sense to me. So what we picked last week was to replay the Why We Podcast episode, Um, and in that episode, we talked about how we decided to do this podcast, A, but also why we have some of the, the... kind of gimmicks that we include every week, including the beer drinking. Yeah, and we realized, you know, that episode, Dan, that was that was back in July or August of 2015. That was a while ago now. And we know we have a lot of new listeners who have come on board since that time. And, you know, this email that came in from, from Hardy Quentin in, in France, which is cool. We have listeners in Pretty France. Pretty awesome, yeah. Um, you know, really reminded us. We haven't really talked about that for a while. We show up here. We drink beer. But, you know, one of the things that obviously we want to do is talk about a lot of these issues that graduate students and postdocs and really anybody who hangs out in the lab for any amount of time faces. And this is something we have always done, as we talked about in our replay of last week's episode. But even through our time as grad students, we would always gather over beer, talk about the trials and tribulations of graduate school and the science world. And so it just seemed appropriate if we were going to have a podcast where we talk about these things that we would have to do it over beer. Yeah, I'm positive we were not the only people doing that. I'm sure it's happening around the world in labs and with lab people. So so thanks to Hardy Quentin from France who sent that email in. That's great. Yeah, we love hearing that. And you will hear more feedback. Um, you know, we get emails all the time and, and we do like to read them. So uh, we'll try and space them out a little bit. But today... I know, I know Hardy was a big fan of our English language, but Dan, I know you know some French. Say, say something in, in French for us. I took French in high school. I'm not going to say anything in French. Excusez-moi, les toilets, s'il vous plaît. I can sing a French song that my toddler knows. Frère Jacques. Yeah, I know that one, too. Um, so you are in a lot of luck this week, Josh, because we had another email that I think is pretty pressing and we wanted to get to in a timely fashion. I tell you, you take a week off and the emails just back up. Two whole emails. No, <laughs> we, we, we get a lot of correspondence and we're really happy to. That's the whole reason we're doing this. 
Um, let me read this to you and let's see if we can get your impression on it. So it says, Dear Josh and Dan, I'm about to finish my fifth year in graduate school. We published my work several months ago in a good journal, but I currently feel like I'm in a rut. I started writing my manuscript early last year and it took over eight months and multiple rounds of peer review before the manuscript was finally published. The reviewers asked for more and more until eventually almost everything I'd worked on since joining the lab became included in the paper. It makes the paper great, but it didn't leave me much for a jumping off point in my next experiments. In fact, all of my proposed leads became dead ends. This is not a, not a very happy start to this not, email. Not so far. So he said, I've been working on more experiments, but nothing has gone anywhere in over six months, which is really disheartening. Teaching responsibilities and other assignments have kept me from being able to focus on the research like I used to be able to. Further, it feels like my advisor is no longer interested in my project. The only thing they want to talk about is another lab mate's work and how something minor in my work tangentially relates to the work that we are, they are more excited about. I guess I'm writing because I'm not totally sure what to do. I saw the light at the end, but now I don't. Do you have any suggestions for students in a rut like me? Um, and this person preferred to remain anonymous. Let's make up a funny name. Steve. <laughs> Is that funny enough? <laughs> I was going to say... Um, oh, we should make it a Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snow. John Snow. John Snow. Okay, this yeah. is John Snow. John Snow. Uh, you know, first of all, I can totally appreciate being in a rut. Do you think it's possible, Dan, to get through graduate school without being in a rut at some point? I'm sure it happens. I'm sure there is that person, but it's probably pretty rare. I mean, I certainly was in a rut, especially towards the end. I would say the last year for me until the very end was a rut. Dan, I'd say you were in a rut for at least years two through five. Uh, yeah, one through <laughs> seven. Uh, even a couple of years after I was out, I was probably in a rut. But but I mean, this this one kind of strikes close to home because what he's talking about is, you know, I had this thing. It was really great. But then, you know, I think we've talked about this. We'll talk about it more. The review process has sucked the life out of everything else I was going to do. I don't know the next experiment to work on. My PI has kind of checked out on me. Um, I want to graduate, but do I have to do something more? And and you just can't tell the next step, let alone the next five steps to get done. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of things going on here. So let's unpack some of this. I mean, first of all, I can totally appreciate the publishing process dragging on. Nothing can be more frustrating, especially when you're trying to get your first first author paper out, and the process just goes on and on. I actually remember Dan, a paper that I was trying to get published took over a year from the time when I first submitted it to when it actually got got accepted. That and is so frustrating. Do, yeah. do you just hate the reviewers at that point? Well, and you know, I remember, Dan, how it went from this really exciting process. Uh, we thought we had something really cool, and we submitted it to science because we thought, yeah, this wow. is great. You know, I've and, heard of that one. <laughs> and, you know, we actually got reviewed. I don't know if you know, but the way science works in nature is like – 20, only 25% or so, it may be less than that, actually get reviewed. The rest immediately get rejected. But it happens really fast. You find out if you're getting reviewed or not. So we found out we were getting reviewed. Do they have that printer that goes right into the shredder? Probably. Yeah. So we were super excited, right? Oh, we're getting, we're actually going to go out for review. Um, but then some more time goes by, and of course, we got rejected. So then, you know, at that point, you kind of have to retool it because every manuscript's a little different. We submit it to like the journal that's one tier down, but it's like our the best journal in our field. They were not such a quick process. So, you know, after about three months of waiting, we find out they rejected it. 
Yeah, I've I've found that you have to add wor- the number of words in the title of the journal corresponds with <laughs> like the level of the journal, right? So there's science, nature, cell, whatever. Let's read the more specific the JCB and you know Journal of Microbiology. Those are not bad. And then you step down. You're like the Journal of Things that people in this area study microbiology with. from the state of North yeah, Carolina, exactly. Western North Carolina. You know, at that point, our paper has been rejected twice, and I'm now four months out from when I first submitted it, right? And so put it in for a third time. It was a fairly slow process. And, you know, luckily it got published eventually, as it always does. But but the the dew is off the lily at that point. You're just like, oh, this stupid paper. At first you submit it and you're excited. Like, so excited. This is going to science. Let's go out for a beer and celebrate. Yeah, the fifth time you're like, get this thing out of my computer. I'm tired of it. Oh, you're tired of looking at it. You just want to move on. And you're tired of doing stupid crap like, oh, let's reformat how the method section is for this journal. So I can appreciate that. But, you know, I think the main thought, this was my initial response to this email when I read it. And that was, you are doing great. You know something, Jon Snow. Jon Snow, you are doing a good job. Like, I totally understand you're in a rut. But from my completely unbiased third-party opinion. I mean, listen, you know, you're five years into grad school and, you know, you've got most of the work you've been working on. It's published. You got it out there. All these experiments you were doing, they were great. They were part of a story. You've got it out. You've got a publication in hand. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and I, and you you see that in the email. It's like, it says, I published it. It was a good paper. I felt good about yeah. it. But... Because I didn't get two papers out of it, it feels like less than it really is. And I think this is this bias toward number of papers as opposed to telling a story, something that people are going to reference, um, contributing to the field. So I think I think you've done the thing you need to do, Jon Snow. Um, so don't discount that. Yeah, and so I think my advice would be, and this is always my advice to students who, as far along as you are, you know, you are absolutely closer to the end. Now you're nearing the finish line. You've got a, a solid paper in hand. I think my advice would be to change your focus now from living in the present as a graduate student to really thinking about the future, where am I headed next, and really change your mindset to think less and less about what do I need to do right now in graduate school, but what do I want to do when I get out of graduate school? Because honestly, man, you are, you're there. You're so close to the finish line now. And yeah, you've done the time and you've leapt the hurdle that I think there's this this inherent hurdle that you've got to publish, right? It's it's going to be tough to graduate if you haven't published something, but you've been there five years. You've learned what you need to learn. You're training. You're not going to learn more in training. You've published. You've proven you can do it. It's time to be done. Yeah, and I think stepping back a, a little bit and talking about how do you graduate? Well, I mean, really the fundamentals of graduating with your PhD is at some point your committee signs off on you doing enough to earn a PhD. And, you know, one thing I've seen over and over again is the best way to motivate your committee to sign off on you being done is to have a plan for what you're going to do next. You know, I think a lot of times grad students don't take control enough of their own progress, their own committee meetings. And so, you know, I've seen it. Once you go in there, like if you get a job offer, if you have a postdoc lined up, Nothing motivates a committee more to let you go than being ready for the next step. You know, if you come in and you're like, well, I don't know anything. I'm lame. I'm I'm never going to graduate. Yeah, they will believe you if you come in with that attitude. If you come in and you say, hey, look, I've got this offer lined up. 
let's be done. Yeah, if you say, you know, I've got this postdoc I'm really excited about, I really would like to get started. I think if I do X, Y, and Z, I really want to start in the next six months. Your committee is going to, they're going to be receptive to that because really they want you to transition to something else. They don't want you to be stuck there forever. Yeah, I think it is a training program. And and it, so it seems like unless there's an explicit rule in your department that you have to have two or three or seven publications, the next piece of paper you need is not another paper, it's an offer letter. Yeah, and I think what you'll find is that you know, a lot of what's going on here is motivation. I think a lot of issues in graduate school, you can't control the science, but, you know, you can try to control how you feel about it. And so I know sometimes like when you feel more motivated, things just seem to fall into place. I think a byproduct of really focusing more on the future and what you want to do after graduate school will help you to stay feeling motivated. will probably give you a different perspective and make you more productive in the lab and more likely to, you know, get things going that move toward a publication Another thing to consider too, and this was true for one of my publications, and that was sometimes people finish writing publications up after they defend. They don't all have to be accepted uh, before you start scheduling your defense date. So anyway, first piece of advice would be take it easy on yourself. You're doing a great job. Second piece of advice would be really start thinking right now. You didn't mention this in your email. Maybe you're doing it, but start thinking about what's my next step and start moving towards lining up what you want to do after, whether it's a postdoc or something else, and take that to your committee. Yeah, really good advice. I don't know if there's any opportunity to participate in this other project or to contribute to it, get another second author paper or or whatever comes out of that. If you go on to a postdoc, you're probably going to change projects anyway. So it's not a terrible skill to develop to be able to switch um, what you're working on. But if it's, if it's just totally boring to you and you don't want to do it, that seems fine too. But if there's a way to, um, you know, get yourself back in the game by working on this other project that your PI is excited about, that your coworker is working on, maybe it's a, a way to get a second author paper. No, that's totally true. And, you know, I don't want to discount. But that shouldn't stop you from graduating. No, it, you know, I don't want to discount what, what John Snow was saying here. This is really cracking me up calling him John Snow. Uh, it really can be disheartening to have a PI who doesn't seem that excited or interested in what you're doing. But I guess the only thing I would say from being on the other side of it is just what you said, Dan, just now. Very few people, almost no people, end up working on what they do in graduate school after graduate school. There will come a day, Jon Snow, very soon, where you don't really care about what it was that you're doing in graduate school either. Um, So I really think five years in, you just need to start thinking more about your next steps after grad school because you're almost there. And, you know, I think this more broadly, it brings us back to really the episode we did a couple weeks ago where we talked about that Kenny Gibbs interview. And one of the things he said was how grad school is a stepping stone. It's not a destination. And so very hard to remember that it is hard when you're right in the middle. It can very much feel like you're in there forever, you know, and this is just what life's going to be like. This is where you're always going to be. Push the boulder up the hill, the boulder rolls back down the hill. Yeah, but you know, it really ends faster than you think. And it's one of those things you can't always see it until after you're on the other side. But certainly take it from us. You're really close. You're going to get through. It's going to be so much better when you're done. Stay motivated. Keep your head up. You're almost there. Yep. Well, hopefully that's good advice. Please do get back in touch with us. If uh, that makes sense, if it doesn't make sense, let us know what you did. And, and we'd love to uh, report on your update. Yeah, and if you're out there, and I know there are people out there 
uh, maybe you're a grad student or you're a postdoc, you're thinking back and you've been in a rut and there was something you did to get through it or you've got a different perspective on that. I mean, this is a great conversation. I think this is a great thing we can talk about to support each other. So let us know if you've been in a rut and have found ways to get through it. Excellent, sir. Are you ready for this week's etymology puzzle? We didn't actually talk about why we do this. It's just because I like word origins. That's (laughs) no other reason. There's really no good reason. I can't ever remember a time when we sat around doing word origin puzzles. No, it it may help, you know, in my mind, it might help undergrads who are listening to the show, hoping to go to grad school, get through that GRE process. Oh, you know know how I feel about the GRE. I do know how you feel about it, but maybe you'll be better at this test that doesn't actually make any sense. So I'm excited to learn about this one. I've totally stumped this week. Yeah, I hope you were. Um, So this we got from Juan, who we talked to a a few episodes ago. And the clue was, if a Westerner offers you a handful of nuts from this tree, you'd be heartless to refuse. I was looking for the genus and species. So if you told me what you thought it was, I would tell you you looked it up and you cheated off my notes. No, so, well, I think last week I thought it was a walnut. And it wasn't a walnut. It was not. um, When you say a Westerner, could that be someone who hails from Westeros? It could be, maybe. I don't... (laughs) I doubt it, since this was probably named before Westeros was invented. You know, I, I am terrible on my Latin names. When you said genus and species, I mean, I don't think I know the genus and species of any plant. In your defense, I didn't know this one either, and I had to get the answer. And when I saw the answer, I was like, oh, that makes totally sense. So the, the answer was the cashew, and the, the genus and species are Anacardium occidental. So Anacardium actually means... Heart... Cardium is heart. Um, Anna is like again or backwards. So I, I, you know, sort of butchered the the word origin a little bit to say heartless. But the cashew nut actually grows outside of the fruit. So we'll put a picture up on the website. But um, if you ever see a cashew growing on a tree, there's the the fruit sitting up top and then the nut is like down below. So like the heart is outside of the fruit. Um, And Occidental comes from, uh, from Latin. And it's the word they used to describe the uh, part of the sky where the sun sets. So there's Occident and Orient. So there's Oriental, which means Eastern. There's Occidental, which means Western. So that was where the Westerner part of the clue came from. That was pretty clever. That was a tricky one. It was really tricky. I bet nobody got that. Well, I didn't get it, so it was, it was pretty <laughs> tough. Um, and, and this is something I spend time on and like to do. So uh, I have sort of been into, you're going to make fun of me about this, but... I always make fun of you. Uh, this is going to seem like a tangent, but I have, I've been trying to eat more salad. Okay. Lately, and and I'm a I'm a big fan of, of creamy salad dressings. But as you probably know, creamy salad dressings don't tend to be the more healthy salad dressings. I believe that's true. Yeah. So a friend of mine who is vegan told me he had a recipe for a killer cashew Southwest Ranch dressing. Oh, really? I've I've not had that. Well, so did the recipe, threw it all in my blender, and the base is really it's water, cashews, and spices. Okay. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Unbelievable. So I was very impressed at the versatility of the cashew. Uh, when you blend it up, you can make a nice creamy dressing. I had cashew cheese recently, which is cashews with some sort of lactobacillus in it that makes it tangy. Very unusual. Like yeah. Some kind of vegan replacement for cheese. Yeah, we were. It's getting kind of crunchy here. On it's the getting a little location. weird. Okay. So anyway, you can do a lot of things with cashews. Anacardium occidental. So now you'll be able to throw that out at a dinner party. So what do you have? Uh, what do you have for us this week? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to lob a softball on this one. So if you don't get this, uh, I'm going to be a little disappointed, Josh. But okay. it's a microbiology question for okay, you. Okay, good. The clue is: historically, people with this disease were quarantined as their skin turned scaly and peeled off in sections. 
I'll read it one more time. Historically, people with this disease were quarantined as their skin turned scaly and peeled off in sections. Disgusting clue, but if you think you know the answer, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue. And once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. And some peeling skin. No, just the card. I'll just take the card. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. Dan, great to be back with you again this week. Yep, it was very good to be back, and I guess we'll have to finish this gigantic Westeros beer. Yep, maybe we'll fire up the Game of Thrones and finish this beer off. (laughs) Not a bad idea. Now, Josh, how can people get in touch with us? I'm glad you asked, Dan. So, as you saw, we had some great listener emails. We love to get those. If you'd like to get in touch with us because you have a question or feedback on a past episode, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can send us a tweet at hellophd or connect with us on our Facebook page. Josh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>